we ask questions for all kinds of reasons, but almost everything in lean and continuous improvement uh, really kind of revolves around asking questions. And, you know, whether it's the five whys or go to Gemba, that seems to be an important skill. Welcome everybody to a quality podcast, season two, episode four, Jake Harrell and John Thacker here to talk to you with a more in-depth podcast than usual. No interview today. We will be talking about effective questions to drive operational improvement. So as we get into operational excellence, Kaizen, go to Gemba, there is a lot of opportunity to ask questions of our team and we do that to learn from the experts, the people doing the work. But there is a real skill to asking questions and there's some pitfalls to avoid. So we're gonna get into all of that today. Jake, how are you doing today? I'm questioning how we ask a question. Ooh! <laughs> awesome, awesome. So um, we'll jump right in and let's just start with a little bit of context and importance. So asking questions, right? We ask questions for all kinds of reasons, but almost everything in lean and continuous improvement uh, really kind of revolves around asking questions. And, you know, whether it's the five whys or go to Gemba, that seems to be an important skill. Thoughts on that? Yep, we definitely seek to, we want, we want to try and make our point without uh, being such a about it. <laughs> <laughs> so as we work with the team we're asking questions for a few different reasons and the first reason is a class of questions that we call naive questions naive questions assume that i as the question asker don't know anything that's why we call this class naive questioning. We're starting from a blank slate and we know that's impossible. We can't really do that. But I feel like it's very important to get as close to that as possible because there's a really significant pitfall that awaits lean practitioners and leaders if we go into an operation thinking that we know everything, taking things at face value, jumping to conclusions, uh, Jake, I know you've had some experience with this. Uh, only uh, an awful lot. I think the favorite one of where we're starting out for the naive line of questioning, it's best in protecting the individual's integrity. So when we're in the warehouse, just examples that have happened in my life, you walk past a break room and there's exactly one person in the break room and it's two o'clock in the afternoon, you might very well be tempted. Well, that guy's here outside of his break. And you might walk up and start the conversation that way or finger point or even worse, go to his supervisor. Why is he here outside of break? Whereas instead, even if I know the break rules, which let's be honest, not all of us do, I'd still walk up, get as close to that open slate as possible and go, you know, tell me about how, how breaks are structured here and have a supervisor who, even if they know I know, tell me what that whole thing looks like and steer towards, oh, well, that guy, he does a special thing for the site and goes on breaks late. 
more often than not is what's going to come out and protect that individual's integrity along the journey as I get to the information we need. Yeah, that's a great point, right, about judgmentalism and jumping to conclusions. So I think this is becoming less common with the younger generation, but certainly with the older generation and previous iterations of the workspace, um, busyness was confused pretty dramatically with productivity and people were managed instead of processes. And there was this um, idea that people had to be in motion all the time instead of understanding that motion is actually waste, right? We don't need to look at physical motion. And so if we're observing a process and we're not approaching it with a blank slate and we're not asking naive questions, we might see someone standing around and just assume, aha, they're not working, nobody's watching them, there's no oversight, or even the process is stopped. We have a waiting uh, situation here. This is, this is Muda. Um, there's a lot of shallow conclusions we can jump to, and, and most of them can cast our fellow teammates in a bad light. So it helps to preserve sort of our integrity as observers and also sort of the reputation of that employee as well. I want to share the whiteboard and talk about a little, a little bit of the philosophy of naive questioning, okay? And this is a little deep, but I think it's really helpful for our listeners to come to terms with. So right here, what we have is sort of the way things really are, okay? That's what this box is. the way things really are. And Immanuel Kant would call this the dingunzik, right? The thing in itself. And then over here, we're lean practitioners and we have, you know, kind of a idea of what's going on, uh, but we don't see things the way they really are. We have some biases and stuff too. However, in order to really be effective at operations management and certainly as a lean practitioner, you do have to have a critical realist epistemology. And so you think that there is a way things really are, and we're trying to get as close to it as possible. So there's a lot of facts-based approach. So over here, this square is the way that I see things. Okay. Now over here, that's how the people doing the work see things. Now the people doing the work, most humans, most non-engineers, um, most regular workers, they don't have a critical realist epistemology. Uh, they have a postmodern epistemology, which is to say, we tend to confuse the way that we feel and the way that we see things with the way things really are. And that's why we have the saying, perception is reality. Perception is reality for the person doing the work, right? Yep, this is the very same when you're struggling with a leader in an operation, whereas you're the guy facilitating change. 
and the way they're described doesn't exactly line up, they sit in this emotional bucket that John's referring to. Right. So how I see things, and I'm going to go ahead and uh, change that to a red square. Did that, did that work? It didn't work. Let me try that again. There we go. So there's some overlap. And then over here, we're going to make a green square. So this is how the worker sees it. All right. Hopefully that's not too confusing. It's a little confusing. So you have the way things really are. We have how we see things, which is probably has a lot, more, a lot of overlap with how things really are because we've been doing this a while and we're lean practitioners and uh, we're structured or we're intellectually structured to think of things in a critical realist epistemology. And then how the worker sees things, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go ahead and clear those drawings and start over again. Uh, just to clear it up a little bit, okay? Now, the relationship of these boxes to the way things really are often looks something like this, but that's certainly not guaranteed. Okay, now here is the mistake that I've made in the past and I see people make all the time, which is we think that as a uh, lean practitioner, that when we ask naive questions, we're trying to figure that out. We're trying to talk to the person doing the work to figure out the way things really are. I've even heard like that specific word used before. Okay. Uh, in actuality, we're trying to figure out the way the employee sees things over here and really it, when you think about it, you can't really figure anything else out from the questions you ask the employee. They're going to give it to you the way that they see things, okay? So understanding that we're trying to get to how the employee sees the operation, how they feel about it, right? Their inner work life, if you will, uh, is a critical part of asking naive questions. And it can really help stem frustration because if I'm asking questions, trying to get into this blue box of how things really are, and I keep getting answers that are over here, I might get frustrated and I might steer the conversation wrong. I'm gonna be able to form this picture later, but when I'm talking to employees, they're in this box, just like I'm in my red box, and we owe it to ourselves, to the operation, to the process, and most of all to that employee, to figure out what their box is. Yeah, to build on this exact graphic, uh, a lot of times the, the lean practitioner that's naive is trying to change that pre-described blue square towards his red one. That's what I see a lot of new people do right out of the gate, is I already see this ideal state and I'm trying to change the actual critical reality to that state. When most lean work, most real like continuous improvement is just bringing the green square closer. 
That is literally all it is. At times, I don't even change what the critical reality is, but I'm getting the team closer and closer to accepting that critical reality to make changing it however we can. That much easier. Right. So sometimes we see the mistake of trying to change reality to my perception as a leader, right? When in actuality, most of the coaching in Gemba is this. It's changing the employee's understanding of what's going on to what's really going on. And, you know, to be fair, I've got to do the same thing, you know, for myself. Make sense? Yeah, and more so work is done there than outside of it in almost any innovation project I've ever seen. Right. And I'm asking these naive questions about this green box over here to try to get my paradigm closer to that. Fair? Correct. All right. So enough of the whiteboard. Let's see our smiling faces again. Um, so naive questions are open-ended questions where we assume nothing and we listen to what the employee has to say. It can start out with something as simple as, hey, tell me about what you're doing here. So Jake, give me an example or, or sometimes that you've had a chance to interact with your employees or people that you're coaching and how you broke the ice and began this naive question, all of that good stuff. One of my favorite examples of this is I worked in a, in a, in a low trust, uh, toxic environment where we're quick to enact that judgmentalism and make a decision. And one of the things came up where a member of management was reviewing the camera and they had noticed an employee take someone else's equipment, walk off the camera with it, right? So we're thinking now we bring her in, him or her in, and we, we terminate her for it. It's clear as mud, right? She walked off with some other one's equipment. That's a terminable offense. Well, instead of that, and being as far divulged away from the actual processes within the building, um, we brought her in for questioning. And instead of me, why did you steal this? We just started with, so tell me about your day. And let, her, let her tell me about it. So tell me about your break when this occurred. And so tell me about your RF unit. And what came out of the conversation was there's actually a requirement within the business, unbeknownst to half the leadership known to some, where the requirement was every employee has to punch out at break on an RF device. And they had to do that when they left, and they had to do that when they come back. However, they didn't provide every employee with an RF device, and yet had this requirement. So what it led to was the employee has to run around where everyone else has their MHE part, find a device, use it to log in or out of break. So what happened was they grabbed it, used it to log into break, and there was a delay on the screen, about 45 seconds for it accepts what your input was. So she had walked in, started to do her lunch in, in the microwave, walked right back out, and the person that was on the equipment had already taken it and left. So now she's, well, I have this, and you know, I'm just gonna go put it where all of the other ones are. But as we let her divulge that story, it was a fascinating example of how judgmentalism would have never solved or brought the reality of the situation to life, whereas the naive line of questioning got the reality out and the proper solution. Yeah, I think that's a great example of 
naive questioning, not jumping to conclusions, and also an example of why we need naive questioning. So uh, first, I just want to clarify for everybody in the audience, um, it is a horrible idea to believe that you're going to terminate somebody's employee because they took a tool that somebody else was using. So I want to be clear here, this employee did not steal someone else's belongings. They just took a tool that stays on site that different employees use at different times to get their work done. So the fact that management would even go there, it tells you a lot about how toxic this environment was and, and how incapable uh, this leadership team was of, of even basic leadership. So there's an environment where leaders are jumping to conclusions, first of all, judging employees, second of all, and then immediately applying the strictest possible consequences. So instead of basically saying, hey, you took somebody else's tool, you're out of here, your approach was first, you, you broke the ice. How's your day going? Tell me about your break, all of that. And what you uncovered was a process, right? So again, that's what we're looking for, right? We want to understand the process. So the incorrect view that sort of led to this in the first place, you had leadership that were looking at people. This person took a tool and walked off with it. What a garbage human, right? Mm -hmm. uh, trying to manage people, not processes. And so we broke the ice and then asked questions having to do with process, right? And we uncovered there's a process that requires every employee to use an RF unit, which is a handheld computing device commonly used in warehouses and factories to track inventory. Everyone had to use that to clock out for break, right? Except they didn't give every employee an RF unit, obviously. So they implemented a process that disadvantaged everybody in the operation that was not granted an RF unit to do their job, didn't need it. And then when that employee solved their problem to stay compliant with the process that management put into place, it forced that person, it required them to find an RF unit and use it. On top of that, the RF unit took about a minute to communicate back and forth with the server. So this person picked up the RF unit, typed in their stuff while they're going to break to put their snack in the microwave because you know you have limited time and this was over a million square feet right building so it takes a long time just to get to the break room and then walked back out with the rf unit and the person that had left it there had driven off they were operating power equipment and they drove off right so management engineered that outcome Yep, through action or inaction, like reality is is almost engineered to give you what it gave you. Right. So, good example of why we use uh, naive questions, and to sort of uh, recap naive questions, we are trying to control our own biases when we ask this. On the one hand, and on the other hand, we're trying to get come to terms with the box of understanding that the employees doing the work have of the work, of the process, their inner work life, their psychology. And we understand that what we're learning in our questioning is not the same as the way things really are. 
and that's a critical distinction to make, it can keep us from being naive and taking things at face value uh, and assuming they're true. Um, and it also helps us come to terms with each person as an individual and appreciate what they bring to the team. Um, and then we can triangulate all the pieces to sort of build a collective um, model of how the process is really being executed. So I know I have dozens and dozens of examples, but have you ever been in a situation where you're you know, running continuous improvement or an operation and you talk to the folks and you find out that they're doing it many different ways? Like the actual understanding of the process from person to person, even on the same shift, is different. Even on the same person and multiple iterations of the same process. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I've seen. I've even seen that. Right. Uh, I had a guy that I was working with in the Midwest, and we had a high-velocity warehouse that was in the home and buildings trade. So manufactured goods going to retailers, so business to business. You know, our customers were like Lowe's, Home Depot, big, big customers. And this individual was picking, packing, and shipping orders. And we were working on a black belt project that included rerouting uh, traffic, so traffic management, um, and then also materials handling. And the materials being picked ranged from small boxes, you know, corrugate type of boxes to uh, bulk wire that we had to pull out on the spool and then, you know, cut to length. Um, so a bit, a bit of a challenge. And I asked this employee, you know, how to do the job and we went through it and I took some notes and, and then I kept doing that. And then I went back around the circle. So I got back to this employee about a week later and we're doing the exact same job on the same fork truck. They had assigned power equipment. Everything was the same, except it was a week later and he was doing it different. And he talked about the work differently. And I just told him, I said, this is different than the last time we did it. I said, what changed? And he said, well, I'm, I'm starting to understand the job better and how I can, you know, save some time here and there and some tips and tricks. Right. So it was good. Like he was thinking about the work and he was, he was evolving as he went along. Uh, but it also told me that there weren't standards in place uh, mm -hmm. for the employees. And, you know, frankly, that was a behavior that was driven by management because of what they measured and what they rewarded. So every day there was a production report for the employees and the employees that did well got rewarded and the employees that didn't uh, you know, eventually got a talking to this, this company was not ruthless by any means, but you know, people knew I have to hit my numbers and you'd hear that all the time, right? Common operational issue, I think. Um, and so measure becomes a target. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So there wasn't a lot of incentive to follow a process because, you know, I have to hit my numbers. If I find a way to get faster than I was yesterday, I'm just going to do it. Um, in, in this particular case, the consequences for that were almost non-existent because there was no way to introduce quality defects into uh, the workplace. And then the, the employee couldn't really alter like their traffic pattern 
uh, because all of that was routed by computer. So it was a little pokey okay. Um, I didn't sweat it as much as, you know, in an assembly line or a fabrication shop or something like that. Yeah, great example of moving from naive to directed questioning, where, well, tell me more and give me a, you know, lead the, coax the employee through sharing what their world actually looks and feels like to them. Yes. So naive questions sets the stage. You're trying to approach with a blank slate, tabula rasa, come to terms with the way that the people doing the work see things and understand things. The second type of question is learning questions. That's where you are actually starting to learn. So there's three types of learning questions. And we add these after the naive questions to start to focus things down, right? So the first is the open question. And this is as simple as tell me more. A coworker is talking about something, you know, you suspect there's an issue here you need to uncover. You can just say, tell me more. Right. Have them clarify. Well, we always do this because, you know, we never have enough equipment to go around. Oh, tell me more. Well, you know, we come in and first shift is still here and they're putting their stuff away and I can't get a fork truck and I can't get a scanner and I can't get a harness and, you know, blah, blah. So we always go here to the back room and play poker for the first 30 minutes of the shift. Right. <laughs> I will not disclose whether that's a true statement or not. Uh, so, so tell me more starts to uncover, right? Now, once you're latched onto a specific train of thought that you think is going to be value add, like the example we just talked about, the next learning question is a directed question. Directed questions is the who, what, where, why, when, how questions, right? Wait, people are going to the back room to play poker for the first 30 minutes of the shift because they can't work anyway. Who's doing that? Man, most of first shift. When are they doing it? The first 30 minutes of the shift because they don't have any equipment. Why are they doing that? They don't have any equipment, right? So those types of questions can get you, you know, further down that path um, towards finding a problem that's resolvable and, and root causing issues, right? Now, the last learning question, um, you want to avoid unless you need it. And that's the closed question. Closed question ends in yes or no. You can answer it with a yes or a no, right? So I don't want to ask those questions ever unless I'm at a point in the conversation where I need yes or no clarity, right? Because by using yes and no questions, you can direct the outcome. That's why these questions are often um, protested in trial. If a prosecuting attorney asks, did this happen, and the witness starts to answer, and the prosecuting attorney says yes or no, right? Everybody knows that puts you into a box where you're confirming the narrative of the person asking the question, and that's almost always protested. Yeah, it's a, it's a hidden way of saying my premise is valid. So no matter how, whatever the argument of your premise is, it's, it's accepted if my only answer can be yes or no. Yeah, that's right. But there are ways, there are times, I should say, when it's appropriate to ask a yes or no questions. Um, so you're telling me that, you know, when you clock in most of the time, you can't go to work because there's no equipment available. So you just go hang out until the equipment's available. Yep. Okay. So 
if I'm trying to clarify a question, I may get to a yes, no. Otherwise, I want to avoid it. What else about learning questions, Jake? Uh, well, the, the number one reason you want is actually to teach. So in the learning, the objective is not just for you to gather data. That's like where everybody starts is, well, I want to know what color shirt you're wearing or what the rules actually supposed to be. But what you're coming to terms with is their understanding of the data you're looking for. And that's usually where there's a gap. You know, KPIs are a measurement that comes from a metric that's led by a behavior. And that behavior is usually found in asking a leading or learning question. So if I ask you like, well, what is your productivity metric? You go, well, you know, I gotta work hard this hour, or I have to hit X number of units, or an indirect percentage has to be X or Y. Whatever their response is, yes, it gives you data, but it's more closely giving you the picture of the box they live in. And that's why we ask those questions. Yeah, great, great segue, because the third type of question that we ask at Gemba is teaching questions. Now, naive questions are designed to protect us from our own biases and to naively come to terms with how the employee actually sees things. And then learning questions are designed to teach us how that employee perceives things. The third type is teaching questions, and that's where you're using the Socratic method to teach the person you're asking questions of. You will probably also learn as well. And a great example of this is the five whys, or just asking why. Somebody says something and you ask, why is that? Well, why is that? Well, why is that? Well, why is that, right? Until the person talking to you begins to clarify things in their own mind. Power of why. Yeah, and you have to find a way to do it without being a jackass about it. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point, right? So demeanor is really important. Um, Self-awareness of how you come across to people and then also caring, right? Um, I remember, I think it's it's been over half a decade ago, I took a assessment as part of a leadership training course. And the first part of the assessment was you know, what is your emotional intelligence level, right? How good are you at recognizing emotions in yourself and others? And I scored second highest in the group. I'm very good at recognizing emotions in myself and others. Right? The second part of the test was how does, how much does that awareness change your approach to things? And I scored second lowest in the group, which is, you know, sort of like being a sociopath. Um, cer certainly, highly egoistic, right? And, you know, that's that's one personal flaw that I've uh, been fighting my whole life is just my ego, right? Um, Even if you have feelings about it, it doesn't mean my, my direction's not the best. It still is. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, that was, that was my approach. I know this upsets you, but if you weren't so dumb, you'd understand that this is the way forward. So get on board or get run over. I, I have literally received the feedback before. It was like, you coming in and succeeding makes other people feel bad. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to do don't, with it. Like, I, don't don't, I don't know. Don't you dare come to work and be successful. You're making all of everybody else feel unsuccessful. We, we, we feel bad, yeah. Um, very low emotional intelligence, right? Um, so when you're asking five whys, right, there's a big difference between saying, Oh, that's really interesting. Why do you think that is? And saying, why? 
why why right the the second type of teaching question is suggestive questions in suggestive questions you're suggesting an answer yes you are intentionally steering the person you're having a conversation with this is why it comes after the naive questions and the learning questions right but we've all worked with people that um, had a pretty big gap between their perception and the way things really are. And you have to steer them sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. um, probably a classic example of this is somebody's out to get me syndrome, right? Have you experienced that with some of your employees? Only an awful lot. And I'll tell you, in like naive consulting and practitioners I've met, they they start by wanting to Socratically steer you somewhere. And it's not even really clear with where that somewhere is initially. Like, that's what I see a lot of guys do wrong. Well, what if we just got better? I'm like, stop! <laughs> naive questions, learn the actual reality and how they perceive it. Then learn fixed data points versus the gap between how they see it and what reality is like, and then steer into what that better vision of a future looks like. Don't skip all the rest of them. I definitely had more than one example of a leader go, well, what if we did this? Before they even understood that that's literally physically impossible as, as a countermeasure. And right, right. Yeah, well, so I think there we're getting, you know, away from actual uh, continuous improvement and we're getting into the realm of leadership ego. And it's a great conversation. You know, maybe we should have a podcast on it sometime. Um, but those are the kinds of leaders that believe their job is to have all the ideas. And that's incompatible with lean. So if you're the kind of leader that thinks you have to have all the ideas or worse, the kind of leader that thinks you actually do have all the good ideas, um, your likelihood of success in operational excellence is, is frankly slim. So suggestive questions, you're suggesting an outcome, and it sounds something like this. Well, what if this were the case? What if we tried this? Have you thought about that? Um, that can redirect people from their box to the way things really are or closer to that, right? So had a guy, true story, you know, you can't make this stuff up. Uh, this person was... Uh, stealing time from the company and in order to punch in and out you had to scan a badge a physical badge and then type in your your code so we knew the guy wasn't on the property because we literally saw him somewhere else right and he was on the clock and so there's always the possibility you know somebody else uh, punched you in um, so, of course, we investigated it and, you know, this guy swore up and down that somebody had stole his card and was punching him in and out to get him in trouble. Well, that wasn't the case because we had security camera footage of this guy stepping in the door and punching in and then stepping out the door and going about his merry way, right? That's somebody whose perception is way far away from the way things really are, right? Um, and so there's times that you have to intentionally direct that. And then the third type of teaching question is alternative questions. An alternative question presents an alternative to something that the uh, employee perceives, believes, etc. So one thing that I've come across is a lot of people 
will confuse a problem with a solution. And a great way to identify if you're falling into this trap or someone's falling into this trap is to look for the negatives, which is to say, if somebody says, we're just not doing this, chances are the this they're talking about is a solution, right? Or all we need to do is, or if only we did, right? But if you hear that not, right, we're not doing this, you might be falling into this trap. So, you know, an example might be poor quality outcomes and somebody doing the work might say, well, we really just need someone there checking everything that comes through. Or how come we're not doing quality inspections? So you see what they did was they confused the problem, which is the process is producing poor quality with a solution, which is I'm going to inspect quality in, which is not the uh, solution we want as a lean practitioner. That's an example of where we would want to use some suggestive questions, right? Some alternative questions. So I understand that you want to use inspectors to check if something is working. Well, how would it make you feel if you were producing all day and there's somebody standing behind you grabbing every third unit, you know, and, and tearing it apart while, while you're trying to work? I don't know. I think I'd feel pretty bad about that. Okay, good. So what if instead of that we do, so I used a suggestive question, right, to get them thinking and feeling and empathizing, and then an alternative question to redirect them in a direction that's more feasible. Make sense? Absolutely. You find yourself doing more and more of that uh, subconscious, even when I talk to the wife at home. We're yeah. discussing what dinner, what, what dinner is, and I'll go, well, what about? Yeah. Well, let me tell you, someday we're going to have a podcast on the perils of trying to do lean at home. Everybody, everybody in the space I've talked to has the same story, which is their spouse is not on the same page. Well, I want to share with the audience that I walked through John's house and we left to go do something and he was unable to locate his keys. And I thought of all people that would have a shadow board for their keys, it would be you. Guilty as charged. Well, I wanted to put one up, but I'm married. And so it didn't happen. <laughs> uh, no, I take full responsibility for that. Um, so it's hard to believe it's been an hour already hope it was value added to everybody listening. So let's recap really quickly. The ability to ask questions well is a big lever in our ability to get successful outcomes at Gemba. There's three types of questions, naive questions, where we are coming with an empty slate to workers to come to terms with their perception of things, not how things really are, the employee's perception and how things really are, are never 100% congruent. For that matter, neither are my perceptions in the way things really are. The second type of question is learning questions, which includes open questions, tell me more, directed questions, who, what, where, why, when, how, and closed questions, yes and no, which should only be used if necessary. And the third type of question is teaching questions, including asking why, suggestive questions and alternative questions. Jake, final words of wisdom for our audience. 
Well, uh, I'll start off with a naive question. And well, why did you make it to the end of this podcast? And we'll learn from there by asking, why don't you tell me more in the comments? <laughs> awesome. I love it. Thank you, everybody, for joining us on Equality Podcast. Everybody out there in YouTube land, goodbye. <laughs>